Good morning, and welcome to the Wisdom Seeker Sunday School class. And also a big hello to all of those people that are listening around our country and across the world. We welcome you today. We're glad that uh, we are glad that you connected with us. Uh, my name is Tammy Stewart, and I will be teaching today. Did you know that we have a national symbol that is a tree? It's called the survivor tree. And it's in New York City. On September 11th, 2001, when the towers were attacked, uh, not only was it the towers, it was that whole World Trade Center complex that they have, and that's about, altogether, I'm guessing, about eight buildings. And so we had a lot of destruction. We had a, we had a lot of rubble. Well, what happened was the recovery workers were trying to remove the rubble, and they uncovered a tree. And... Uh, all of the branches had been knocked off the tree, and they had about eight foot of trunk, and it was crushed on one side and also scorched. So they were trying to uh, decide uh, if they could save the tree, because they noticed that there was just a little bit of a large branch there, but on the end of it, there was about eight green leaves. So they could see the tree was dying, but they could also see that the tree was fighting for life. And so I guess they brought some experts and they decided they would carefully dig it up. And they took this trunk, basically is what it was, and they took it to um, the Bronx, to a nursery. And they asked them if they would try to save this tree, bring it back to you know, life. So, you know, this happened in 2001. So in 2010, they actually brought this tree back to the city. Uh, this tree was uh, a pear tree, but it didn't bear fruit. It was more of an ornamental tree. So in the spring, it has all these beautiful white flowers on it. And it has a beautiful shape to it as well. It's pear-shaped as well. And they placed it uh, near the 9-11 memorial um, in a park. And you can go there and see it today. And um, I don't think originally there was a fence, but they have, and it is a fence, but it's more like a metal ring. It's, it's very sturdy, and it's not real close to the base of the tree. It's, it's out of distance. But, you know, you can't just go up and touch the trunk, but you can evidently see on that one side, you know, the damage that was done when the towers came down. And I guess the reason why I was following that was we lived in New Jersey for about three and a half years and we would go into New York City a lot on the weekends because there wasn't a lot of traffic and there wasn't a lot of people. And uh, before we moved from New Jersey to Connecticut, uh, Dennis took me in on a Saturday and uh, <laughs> You know, we went across the George Washington Bridge, and it was just very easy. Went down in that area, parked right in front of the World Trade Center, right in front of the towers. Went up the steps, we went in. Uh, I was taken with the size of the lobby in, the, in Tower One, um, and in the middle of this lobby was a bank of uh, escalators that would take you down to the shopping mall that was below the towers. We also know they had underground parking, and we also know that they had the subway system. So if you think about the destruction, just talking about the destruction, um, all of that, we lost all of that, all of it. Uh, we, we went up to the top floor, which there's 110 floors, and we celebrated our wedding anniversary in the restaurant called Windows on the World. So when this happened, you know, I, it really, it impacted all of us, but I was taken back by it. I really was, because I thought a great loss of life, but a great loss of infrastructure as well. 
um, people today in New York can walk through this park. And of course, if you go and visit the 9-11 Memorial, you know, it's right the park is right next to that. You can see this tree and, um, you know, people that look on that tree can see the damage on that one side. And so it represents, I think, to them hope, resilience, and, and a rebirth for our nation. Because we lost probably 2,600 people, I'm, I'm estimating, uh, in that tragedy. And, you know, they're still dying as a result of that because all of the rescuers and all of the recovery workers, you know, the firemen, the policemen, they're contracting all of these illnesses from that toxic smoke and material. So we're continually losing people even today. So that number's going to rise. But I just wanted to bring that to your attention because um, sometimes when I would talk about this with my adult students, um, they're ESLs, so obviously they're not from our country. They did not realize that that tree was there and the significance of it. So I just kind of wanted to share that as my opening. But I also have, an, I have like a second introduction. And this one, um, we're going to talk about the Cedars of Lebanon in the Old Testament. But uh, I wanted to just do a real short introduction on the Amazon rainforest. And uh, I used to teach on that with my adult students as well. And I remembered a book that I had read to them. And they always talk about the rainforest being the lungs of the planet. Interesting. Uh, it says that the plants uh, in the rainforest produce about 20% of the oxygen for the entire world. Uh, the Brazilian rainforest, more specifically, uh, constitutes 60% of the Amazon rainforest. Uh, they have 11,210 different uh, tree species. And this is in the uh, Amazon rainforest. Um, let me name these other countries. There's eight countries besides uh, Brazil, Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, Guiana, Peru, uh, Suriname, Venezuela, and French Guiana. Um, they said there are 60,000 tree species in the world today. That's according to the experts. Uh, Brazil, Colombia, and Indonesia. Um, have the highest totals for endemic species of trees or trees that are specific to that area. And I'm not talking about this today, but in looking at that, uh, for Brazil, I saw they have a grape tree in Brazil. And um, as we think of grapes, obviously they're a little larger than our grapes, but the grapes grow on the trunk. And, I, and that was not where I wanted to go, but I did look at it, and I saw pictures, and I thought that was absolutely amazing. So it's basically the grapes are on the trunk. They kind of go off onto the big branches a little bit, and you just uh, pick it off. I did not know that. And it's got a name about this long, so I can't tell you what it is, so I call it the grape tree. Um, I also discovered there's a global tree search online. It's an online archive and you can search on it. And uh, they were saying that there are three trillion trees currently existing in the world. And this is according to the 2000 tree census. I, I didn't know that existed. Um, they also said that on our planet we have 46% fewer trees than we had 12,000 years ago. Now, I don't know how they would have calculated that, so we'll just kind of let that one drift off, but that's what they say. Um, it is estimated that 390 billion individual trees, which is three times more trees than stars in the Milky Way, are in the Amazon rainforest. Uh, there are so many trees that they make their own rainfall. Every day the trees in the Amazon release 20 billion tons of moisture seeding the clouds with rain. 
Isn't that amazing? Um, a swath of rainforest uh, the size of 40 football fields uh, disappears each minute. Um, another way to say this would be like losing the country the size of Belgium each year. That's how quickly the rainforest is disappearing. Kind of scary, isn't it? Um, I found a quote by our 32nd president, that's Franklin D. Roosevelt. Um, he said a long time ago, a nation that destroys its uh, soils destroys itself. Forests are the lungs of our land, purifying the air and giving fresh strength to our people. Um, and in 1912, President Roosevelt began the practice of what they call scientific forest management. And he planted in his lifetime a half a million trees in Hyde Park. Um, and you know, Hyde Park was his birthplace in New York. All right. On your handout, I entitled my teachings, The Cedars of God. So I'm going to begin with reading Psalm 80. Um, this psalm was um, written by a chief musician, Asaph, we referenced him a lot in church. And he is praying earnestly that God would uh, shine his face upon the children of Israel. And he wants them to uh, turn to God, and he wants God in his mercy and deliverance to turn to them. Uh, so think about that as we're reading. Um, Asaph was, was praying really for a national conversion. And so when we begin with verse 9 of Psalm 80, uh, he is describing them as a vine that was brought out of Egypt. Thou preparest room. Notice that means to turn the face before it and did cause it to take deep root. And it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it. And the boughs thereof were like goodly, and here this word goodly is L. We're familiar with that, it means mighty. But it also means almighty God, God in heaven. <clears throat> and then cedars. Okay, now the heathen nations were cast out of Canaan in order for God's presence to inhabit the land. And it was seven nations that were making place for Israel. Now this vine is compared to the mighty branches of the cedars and also to God himself, who is likened to a cedar tree. Now, this phrase, uh, cedars of Lebanon, is mentioned over 70 times in the Bible. Uh, cedars are a symbol of strength, prestige, and majesty. Now, in biblical times, the cedar was known as the king of the trees. Now, my first heading here says, strong roots, strong foundation. They are called the trees of the Lord, which are full of sap. And this word sap means uh, tenacity or firmness of its roots. The cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted or fixed, fashioned, fastened. Psalm 104.16. Um, now the word cedar comes, means uh, the word firm. Um, the roots of these cedars go as far down into the ground as the tree is tall. For every 10 feet of height above the ground, the tree roots go down 30 feet under the ground. So it's a foundation that cannot be easily destroyed. Uh, cedar is part of the pine family and it grows slowly at a rate of 12 to 15 inches a year. And it has a lifespan of 1,000 years or more. 
Um, a mature uh, cedar uh, was approximately 120 feet tall. That's like the height of a 10-story building. Uh, the branches are widespreading and they go straight out horizontally, probably about uh, uh, 30, 50 feet from the trunk. Um, these mammoth trees uh, started as little seedlings, but they were plucked up and eaten by a lot of grazing animals. So if they survive long enough to gain some size um, after enduring storms, drought, you know, countless environmental concerns, forest fires, uh, they would push their roots deeper and deeper into the soil, thereby acquiring much strength and constantly getting more of a solid footing. You know, um, I started thinking about this and you know, this description of the cedar is really what describes what should be occurring in our Christian life as well. You know, we will only grow as tall as we are rooted deep. Um, in the latter part of this verse, uh, God, uh, notice that God planted or fastened the seedling into the ground. I thought that was interesting. And then I discovered that cedar trees, even though they're one of the oldest species, on our planet, they don't regrow on their own. Interesting. All right, let's move on. My next heading is Becoming White as Snow. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 14. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Now, you know that Lebanon is named because of its snow-capped mountains. And the Hebrew word for Lebanon simply means whiteness. Um, the prefix is transliterated uh, law-ban, meaning white, and is used throughout the Old Testament in reference to being white, purged, and cleansed of sin. Now, the eastern ridge of the mountain range is partly covered with perpetual snow to this day. The cedar tree continues to be the symbol of Lebanon, with a large evergreen featured on the, on the flag, and it's also on the coat of arms. Um, the mountains of Lebanon were once covered with a thick cedar forest that spread down even into the valley. Um, over the centuries, many nations have exploited that, and there's only a fraction of the great cedars that remain today. And they are considered rare, and they're highly protected. Um, now, you know, we can r really draw some parallels from the geographic location of this tree. God is purifying us and making us white as snow to dwell in the high places. The snow-covered mountains where the cedars once dwelled so abundantly are to remind us of that. The fact that God planted the cedars in Lebanon was a sign of his power and of his great goodness. All right, let's look at the greatness of the cedar. This is a little long, but bear with me. Ezekiel 31, verses three through nine. Behold, the Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadowing shroud and of a high stature and his top was among the thick boughs. The waters made him great. The deep set him up on high with her rivers running round about his plants and sent out her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field. And his boughs were multiplied, and his branches became long because of the multitude of waters when he shot forth. All the fowls of heaven made their nests in the boughs, and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young, and under his shadow 
dwelt all great nations. Thus was he fair in his greatness, in the length of his branches, for his root was by great waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty. I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go back with me and let's carefully look at the verses again and identify the characteristics of a biblical cedar. And there are eight descriptors. Okay, number one, um, at the beginning of verse three, a shadowing shroud, of course, that means a hovering over, uh, and then um, shroud, of course, is a covering. And I, I think that was very descriptive because, you know, at the time, that forest was very dense, lots of trees. So this is signifying uh, safe, safety and protection. All right, let's do the next one, two. Um, this would be at the closing part of verse three. A stately tree, which is very high, with its top among the clouds, is truly dwelling in the high places of God. And then let's look at the next one, that'd be three. So this is the first part of verse four. Abundant rainwater made the tree grow and prosper, releasing an open heaven. And then in the middle of verse four, the deep springs made it shoot up like a magnificent tower, providing home for many creatures. And of course, creatures, you know, as living things. So that's plants and animals and humans. All right, five. Uh, this would be next in verse four. Rivers flowed around the bottom of the tree and sent their streams to all the other trees in the countryside. So here's the various abilities of the trees in creation. And you know, the word uh, running, uh, it, it, the phrase is rivers running. It means to and fro and up and down to places. Um, it is a fact that cedars are also excellent in areas where it's prone to flooding. And a mature cedar tree can soak up to 50 gallons of water a day. All right, six. Uh, finally, in verse four. The tree was great and grand because its roots reached the depth of the underground water source. And then seven, verse eight, no tree in the garden of God was as lovely as this tree. This is the unique craftsmanship of God. Now, um, these cedar trees are considered ornamental or decorative. Uh, because they are embellished with gray-green needles and they are fragrant with a very spicy scent. And you know, when I read that, I thought about incense. You know, that quality reminded me of incense. Small flowers that are reddish-brown and fruit that are barrel-shaped cones. What a combination on this cedar. Quite amazing. And then the last verse, which is nine, that's what we'll conclude with here of these eight descriptors. The cedar was made beautiful with long branches. So that means it had a widespread influence far and wide. Now notice that all of these uh, attributes describe us as saints, as we grow in God. This is us. All right, the glory of the cedars. The cedar was a glorious tree in comparison to the other trees. Um, it was highly prized, even more than the sycamore. Um, cedar trees symbolize resilience and being everlasting. Cedar is mentioned throughout the Old Testament as an item of luxury and wealth. So 1 Kings 10.27. 
and the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. And cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. And then Isaiah 9.10, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Now, cedar timber also represented the riches of a king and was an excellent building material. It had the quality of stimulating the sense of smell. Uh, there were no knots, which are, you know, nodes or dark spots in the wood and no decay. So let's look at First Chronicles 14.1. Now, King um, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and timber of cedars with masons and carpenters to build him and house. So King David's house was made of cedar. Now, the Phoenician king Hiram of Tyre, I don't know, I've got Hiram and Hiram, I don't know, sent cedar uh, carpenters and masons to Jerusalem to build a palace for King Solomon, and that was David's uh, son. So look at Second Chronicles 2.3. Solomon sent Huram, the king of Tyre, saying, As thou didst deal with David my father, and didst send him cedars to build him an house to dwell therein, even so deal with me. Now one more on the palace. Uh, Second Chronicles 2, verses 8 and 9. Send me also cedar trees, fir trees and algum trees, out of Lebanon. For I know that thy servants can skill to cut timber in Lebanon, and behold, my servants shall be with thy servants, even to prepare me timber in abundance. For the house which I am about to build shall be wonderful and great. So we've got David's house, we have David's palace, and now we're going to talk about the temple. Um, the temple of God which uh, Solomon uh, built was paneled with cedar, and it was encased with timbers of cedar. Um, the builders also used cedars for beams, boards, pillars, and ceilings. So, 1 Kings 6, 9 through 10. So he built the house. Now, they're referring really to the temple, temple of God. Uh, and finished it and covered the house with beams and boards of cedar. And then he built chambers against it on all, all the house, five cubits high, and they rested on the house with timber of cedar. Now, uh, next, we've got cedar carvings, which decorated the interior of the temple. This is 1 Kings 6.18. And the cedar of the house within was carved with knobs. Now, that, this is cedar that they uh, carved in the shape of a gourd and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone seen. All right, and then let's talk about Solomon. Later, Solomon used cedar from Lebanon to build his house. And it was called, I did not realize this, the house of the forest of Lebanon. So look at 1 Kings 7.2. He built also the house of the forest of Lebanon. The length thereof was 100 cubits, and the breadth thereof 50 cubits, and the height thereof 30 cubits, and four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams upon the pillars. And then lastly, his own chariot was cedar. So that's Song of Songs, 3.9. King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. All right. Now, after the exile from Babylon, um, the Jews used cedar timbers again in the rebuilding of the temple. So look at Ezra 3.7. They gave money also unto the masons and to the carpenters and meat and drink and oil unto them of Zidon and to them of Tyre to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa according to the grant that they had of Cyrus king of Persia. So, you know, looking at all of this, the cedar tree is really a symbol of endurance eternal life, and for many, it was immortality. Um, think about cedar. It's not consumed by worms or time. 
Um, and then think about us. Neither the church or God's people are outdated or destroyed by any kind of persecution. You know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. You know, righteous people are planted and set by faith. They're watered by the word. They're rooted in love. And they always flourish in the courts of God. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to the healing properties. Uh, the Lebanon cedar was prized for its versatility. Um, in addition to being attractive, fragrant, and commercially valuable, the tree had a number of medicinal uses. Uh, the cedar oils uh, were known to help with like um, arthritic joints, poor circulation, cuts and scrapes, rashes, and abdominal pain. The Bible also talks about the cedar's healing properties. The priests used cedar wood for the ritual cleansing of the leper. So let's look at that. Leviticus 14, 3 through 4. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds uh, alive and clean, and cedar wood, and scarlet, and hyssop. All right, in Numbers 19, um, the priest mixed cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet with the ashes of a heifer to, to form a mixture. This ritual symbolized a cleansing from sin. So let's look at this. Numbers 19, 6 through 9. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and he shall bathe his flesh in water and afterward he shall come into the camp and the priest shall be unclean even until the even and he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until the even and a man, I'm going to slow down now because here's our verse, that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. All right, let's look at the signs of leprosy in the house. Leviticus 14, verses 37 through 38. And he shall look on the plague, and behold, if the plague be in the walls of the house with the hollow strakes, greenish or reddish, which inside are lower than the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. Now I'm going to skip because it's very long, very detailed. So Leviticus uh, 14 again and it's verses 48 through 53. And the priest shall come in and look upon it and behold the plague hath not spread in the house. After the house was plastered, then the police, uh, priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed and he shall take to cleanse a house two birds and cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And he shall kill the one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. And he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet and the living bird and dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water and sprinkle a house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the running water and with the living bird and with the cedar wood and with the hyssop and with the scarlet. But he shall let go the living bird out of the city into the open fields and make an atonement for the house and it shall be clean. Now cedar is mentioned five times 
in connection with the sacrifice offered for the ritual cleansing of the homes, but I, I shortened it, uh, you know, it was just too long. And so you're gonna see that I only have three references here, but there are five. Now remember, cedar wood has strength, beauty, durability, fragrance. You know, this speaks loudly of our Lord's character. He was very much this way. And you know, he was offered up as a sacrifice for the redemptive cleansing of our bodies, which houses the Holy Spirit. All of this ties in, the old and the new. I'm gonna pause a minute. We've covered a lot of ground already. Um, anybody have a thought or a comment about cedar? The tree, cedar tree. All right, let's keep going. This next heading says, Our Cedar, the Lord Jesus. You know, this verse is um, describing Jesus, our elder brother. Song of Songs, 515. His legs are as pillars of marble, set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. You know, this signifies Christ's stability and steadfastness. You know, he is able to bear all the weight of the government upon his shoulders. Here, his appearance is likened to Lebanon, which is white and pure, and he is the chosen one. Okay, let me do a couple more about Jesus here. This is Ezekiel 17, verses 22 through 24. Thus saith the Lord God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar and will set it. I will crop off the top of his young twigs, a tender one, and will plant it upon an high mountain, an eminent. In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it and it shall bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a goodly cedar. And under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing in the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, have exalted the low tree, have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. Now our Lord Jesus was the highest branch of the high cedar and the furthest of all from the root, but he was the nearest of all to heaven. His kingdom was not of this world. He was taken from the top of the young twigs, a tender plant, and a root out of a dry ground. You know, he truly became a branch of righteousness and the planting of the Father. The kingdom of Christ that was looked upon with contempt shall be established forever. And my last one, Zechariah 11, 1 through 2, open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars. Howl, fir tree, for the cedar is fallen, because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. You know, our King, the Lord Jesus, will enclose us with the cedar of himself. You know, the rejection of the Messiah here is likened to the destruction of a cedar tree by fire. I'd never thought about that before. May we always be a living sacrifice made fragrant by Christ's love and his sacrifice. Amen? Wow.
right, next. The cedars of Lebanon uh, were not only a symbol of God's power, but also of his judgment. I'm trying to put something together here, and I, I'm not sure that I can. Um, for many years, and I, you probably remember when we were growing up, that to have, back? pardon me? Can you remember that far back? Yes. <laughs> the, cedar, the cedars were just this, the, uh, the uh, cedar closet was something of real importance and people were very proud to have a cedar closet because it would protect the clothes from moths. And instead of having moths eat your clothes, you would put the clothes that you were storing into a cedar closet or a cedar chest to prevent destruction. By the, and what I'm, there's got to be a parallel here that I'm reaching for. So, what do you think? Well, I do think it's interesting that when you talk, when the when the Bible talks about bringing destruction, he talks about the moth and the canker worm and other things that will come to destroy. And no matter where you're using cedar, it prevents that. Yes. That's interesting. That's and that biblical I'm principle has lasted to, yeah. to, to actually you know, be realistic in our, our day. Yeah. So the cedar tree is blessed in whatever its properties are. Yeah. And if there's parallels between our spiritual life and the cedar tree. What can we cause? Not to be destroyed. I'm trying to reach through that <laughs> to see. No, I was just going with the, the cedar tree and the moth. So you're going for our parallels being yeah. the tree and what we keep from destruction. Yeah. Fortunately, our pastor's here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is, I, think, I think if we're actually being a tree of righteousness, which would have to be, you know, the cedar tree would have to be a tree of righteousness. Yeah. then that in our own lives is going to deter any point of destruction or things that can penetrate to destroy us. And but I, just like the children of Israel who fell, you know, their, their cedar tree was no longer, I mean, if they're not being the cedar, they're not being righteous, then they're not being protected either. And, that, and not just us, but those things that are around, around the cedar, which is us. Yeah. So we're not only... Right. protecting ourselves but others that well, are it's like the birds us. that kind of stay yeah. in the bow of the cedar and are you know kept out of the anyway element. That, that's what pastor was, how about the real answer that's what <laughs> i was trying to put together <coughs> we're just guessing and yeah, now i i was looking at um i was looking at the the root of this word and um you know the apparently in the intertestamental period that the people would utilize the cedar or the root for the cedar to describe wisdom and um, and then they would equate the fact that the oils that were produced by the cedar was what kept these critters from being able to eat away but that same oils made it very combustible so, you know, maybe wisdom is keeping us safe from things that could devour, but also being willing to ignite with the fire of the Lord when he comes. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's just interesting. It just seems like there's more there that we can't, that I can't put my hands on or my, my mind around. Yeah. Oh, all of that's very good. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to take a turn here real quick, so I'll finish this one part. I think it surprised me, so I think it'll surprise you. But let's just talk about judgment for a minute. Um, you know, God with his judgments, he will, you know, humble people and sometimes put them to shame for their actions. Um, 
<clears throat> you know, Israel had their confidence in idols and really their own ability to make things happen. And so I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 2, 10 through 17. It says, Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty and upon every one that is lifted up and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up and upon all the oaks of Bashan and upon all the high mountains and upon all the hills that are lifted up and upon every high tower and upon every fenced wall and upon all the ships of Tarshish and upon all pleasant pictures and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be made low and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day so what I want to talk about is proud people are represented as cedars. You know, they're straight and they're stately, strong and sturdy and firmly rooted. They are not stirred by any storm and they look down on others around them like they were shrubs. You know, our father says, put not your trust in man, but let your hope be in the Lord your God. All right, so <clears throat> this next one, I've got to give you some background information on this next passage of Scripture because I didn't remember this too well. I was a little taken back as I read it. Um, this is about King Jehoiakim, and he was the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and it was the actions of the people who anointed him king instead of his older brother, you know, when his father, King Josiah, he, he died in battle. Uh, the people uh, preferred him over his elder sibling because, well, they thought he was more popular and he was much fitter to rule. So the prophet Jeremiah is sent by God uh, to preach to them, you know, to take care and do all the good they can with the power they have and to do justice in defense of those that were injured. And what, they, I don't go there with this scripture, but basically what he was saying is those that are the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. That's what he's talking about there. So this is Jeremiah, and he is prophesying to the people and uh, King Jehoiakim. So here we go. Jeremiah 22, 14 through 19. I will build me a wide house and large chambers, and cutteth him out windows, and it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. Now, vermilion, I didn't know this, was, is an orangish red color, and it comes from the mineral cinnabar, and it's very toxic because it has mercury in it. So remember that, because it's going to take a turn here. Shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar? Now remember, he's prophesying to King Jehoiakim. Did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice? And then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with him. Was not this to know me, saith the Lord? But thine eyes and thine heart are not but for thy covetousness and for to shed innocent blood and for oppression and for violence to do it. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, oh, my brother, or ah, oh, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, oh, Lord or ah, his glory, he shall be buried with the burial of an ass and drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Wow. You know, King Jehoiakim, who was also called Shalom by Jeremiah, 
he has forsaken the good example of his father, which was Josiah, and he has usurped the right of his older brother to be the king. Um, king Jehoiakim was not uh, charged with idolatry, but with pride. He wanted to build himself a stately palace. Um, he thought he would reign without any disturbance or interruption. Remember what it said in scripture, because he had enclosed himself in cedar. You know, some theologians think he was charged with sacrilege for robbing the house of God, you know, to beautify and adorn his own house. You know, Shalom cuts out the windows he had taken out of the temple. And he put him in his own palace, and then he painted them a red color so they would not be discovered. Hmm. You know, he built his house by unrighteousness with money, unjustly got, and materials not honestly come by. You know, God really takes notice of the wrong done by even the greatest of men. He was the king. The prophet Jeremiah, you know, foretold his shameful death. He shall die without being mourned. King Jehoiakim shall have no burial at all, but his dead body shall be cast into a ditch somewhere a great distance from the gates of Jerusalem. You know, I found out that he only reigned for three months. A very sad and tragic story, but it's a warning for all of us. All right, now I'm going to change. You're going to like this part. This part is intriguing. Um, you know, this information that I obtained uh, that, and what we're going to talk about, I got from two resources, and I, I have listed it on the last page, those, those two resources that I had. Um, here's a fact. Did you know that one mature cedar can soak up to 48 pounds of carbon dioxide each year and then release oxygen in exchange. Same amount. Oh, how wonderful is that? All right, here we go. Trees actually communicate. Wow. Um, I found this. It says that research has shown that a tree, when it is cut, it sends electrical signals that are similar to uh, what occurs in humans when the tissues of the bodies are wounded. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. I don't have any more about that. And some of it I looked at I didn't understand, so I didn't share because I didn't know how to explain it. All right, let's do the other one. Trees assist each other as part of a community and defend themselves. All right, I'm gonna see if I can do this very carefully. Um, paper birch and Douglas fir trees communicate through what scientists had already thought. I had to look up a bunch of things here just so I could explain this. Below ground, a mutualistic symbiosis where two unlike organisms, so it would be the trees and fungi root, fungi root are mushrooms, uh, and they're living together. The mushrooms, fungal threads, form mycelium which infects and colonizes the roots of all trees and all plants that are nearby. This dense web of mycelium connects trees of different species, creating an underground network of fungi that resembles the neural networks in the brain and it has even been compared to the complex web of the internet. Wow. Okay. 
distress signals related to drought, disease, or insect attacks are sent by trees to their neighbors to warn them of an imminent intrusion. The imperiled tree can alter its behavior and in some cases release toxic chemicals to stop or deter the attack. Now I have an example that I lifted. Um, it's very interesting. Um, the acacia tree, which grows in all parts of Africa, uh, the giraffes love to eat the leaves from the acacia tree. Uh, when the leaves from the acacia tree are eaten, the tree, this, I just, it's unbelievable, the tree releases ethylene gas to warn their neighbors of the invasion. On receiving the warning signal, the neighboring acacia trees prepare to defend themselves by pumping tannins. I had to look that up. Um, it's the acids which come from the fruit or from the bark. That's where they get tannin. Now we use tannin to tan animal hides. All right, so they pump tannin into their leaves, which in large quantities can sicken or even kill animals. Isn't that amazing? I had no idea. Okay, let's do the other one. Mother trees nurture their young seedlings. Mother trees send the seedlings carbon. Now carbon is an element that's like a powder-like solid, okay, below ground. I had to look that one up too and even reduce their own root growth to make room for the, for the young plants. Okay, I gotta go slow here. Isotope tracing is used to trace carbon moving from an injured mother tree down her trunk into the underground network and to her neighboring seedlings. Not only was the carbon present but also defense systems and signals to ward off injury and disease. Trees don't compete, but actually cooperate with each other. Oh my gosh. And here's our last one. Trees actually cry out when they need water. Now, according to scientists at the Swiss Federal Institute for Forest, Snow, and Landscape Research. Uh, they state that trees scream when there's an interruption in the flow of water from their roots to their leaves. This can only be detected at ultrasonic levels, not heard by human years. Wow, I was not aware of that. You know what? Nothing is coincidental with God. <laughs> God speaks in many ways. He had reasons for choosing trees when telling us how to please him. He really did. All right, so in closing, um, I'm going to read um, Isaiah's words. I want you to remember that trees will be to us what the pillar of cloud was to Israel in the desert. Um, it will be a shelter to us from the heat we find ourselves in sometimes. And you know, it can be a dry and barren place as we journey in the wilderness of life, but God is with us. So let's look at Isaiah 41 verses 17 through 20. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and high places, and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water, and the dry land springs of water. 
I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the sheftah tree, and the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree, and the pine, and the box tree together, that they may see, and know, and consider, and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this, and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. Okay, now there are seven trees listed in this passage of scripture. I looked at the definitions and I positioned them with the seven spirits of God. Now this is my interpretation, okay? This is just what I was thinking based on scripture. So today we learned that cedars are known for their tenacious roots, so they're always holding firmly. So I think this lines up with holiness and saintliness, having on the breastplate of righteousness, which is our eternal identity before God. Okay, the second tree was shitta. Um, this tree has thorns, uh, which speaks of pain and affliction and the necessity of having your feet covered with the gospel of peace. I think it aligns with judgment and burning and uh, bringing something to an appointed end and thereby entering a state of wholeness. Uh, three is myrtle. Um, it is an evergreen tree representing immortality, um, covered with the helmet of salvation. And I think it abides with prophecy, life, supply, and healing. It is the principle of decrease and death to self in order to experience life in God. Okay, four, the, uh, the oil, they call it the oil tree, it's the olive tree means anointed and fruitful and that aligns with truth and sonship having your loins you know the place of power and creation fastened all around with the truth of god and then five the fur which means lance you know there was a period of time in history when the fir trees were used extensively to make spears you know which speaks of piercing the armor of light for wisdom and revelation was the sword of the spirit which is the word of god piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And then six, pine means enduring, which is signifying God's glory and presence. Take unto you the whole armor of God in order to withstand and be prepared to enter into his presence. And then our last one, number seven, was the box tree. Um, it represents erectness or to be directed upward, aligns with grace and supplication, always praying in the spirit progressing us in the steps of development that God has ordained for our path going forward. So that's uh, my teaching on the cedars. Um, actually, there was an abundance. I had to cut way back, um, and I tried to hit different facets of the cedar. Uh, but this is my conclusion to a very long teaching on the cedars. Um, any comments or Thoughts? I think it, it's a reminder of a parallel to me that all these trees are focused on the community. Yes. And all of these seven are focused on working together. Representing wholeness, yeah. They're not competing. No. No, exactly. That's good. Very good. Well, I really got caught up in it when I was doing this, and I, I, I was really busy trying to condense it because it just, uh, it just, it kept opening up into other things. And you know, I thought I only have an hour. I can't talk about. And I didn't think I was going to have enough material. That was the whole thing. I didn't think I would have enough to cover cedars for an hour of teaching. That was not the case. I was taking lots of things out because I could realize, I, you know, as I worked it through my mind, I realized it was just too much information, too much material. But I thought it was terribly interesting. And I could see all these connections. So. Uh, what was the, the, uh, the ark made of? It had to be something, something huge, the trees. Okay, now it wasn't made of cedar. What, what, what it was sorry, made sorry. Been I'm cedar. trying to think. Is it gopher? Is it gopher? 
You'll have to help me, everybody. Yeah. Go for, go for wood. Yes. Yeah, and it was. Have you ever been to the model that they have um, of the Ark? Um, it's sort of it's near Cincinnati, but yeah, it's in a little tiny town, Kentucky. and they've got this model of the Ark. And the first time I saw it, I had tears in my eyes. I was taken back with the size, the size of it. It was so massive. So it was very interesting. A lot of biblical information, pictures, um, how they lived for 40 days. You know, they had an interpretation for that. How they um, basically air conditioned the whole ark. They they have a they have lots of uh, models for that inside. How they kept the animals and where they were in relation to where they would stay inside. Water supply. Oh yeah, the water supply. Yeah, plenty of water outside. So that was very good. Well, I appreciate your attention and. Um, it really blessed me. I, I hope I didn't go too fast and give you too much information here, but I, I learned a lot today about trees, especially the cedars. Next week is Dennis. He will be our teacher next week. So we'll look forward to that and what he has to share. So blessings, everyone. <laughs>